Hello, you're listening to the Leeds Sanctuary podcast. Leeds Sanctuary is a network of communities in Leeds City Centre, each beginning with encounter and aiming to embody sanctuary and justice, through which individuals in our city can flourish. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, my name is Anna and I have the privilege of being team leader for Leeds Sanctuary. You are listening to the justice stream of our podcast. Justice is a key value for Leeds Sanctuary, as we believe a better world is possible, and we will seek that world with humility, kindness and creativity. This quarter, we are campaigning on the cost of living crisis that is impacting all of us to a greater or lesser extent this autumn and winter, and hitting those in financial insecurity in a potentially dangerous way. The Leeds Craftivists are one of Leeds Sanctuary communities, and we are taking the lead on a creative campaign in response to this crisis. Today, I am speaking to Hannah Fremont-Brown from the Joint Public Issues team about what the cost of living crisis is and how we can respond to it. So, hello, Hannah. Lovely to have you on the Lead Sanctuary Justice podcast. Um, I wondered if you would start by introducing yourself, your role and the organisation that you work for. Yeah, so hi, I'm Hannah. Um, I work for a group called the Joint Public Issues Team um, and we are a combination of the Methodist Church in Britain, the United Reformed Church and the Baptist Union of Great Britain, all kind of pooling our resources around peace and justice issues. So really our hope is to engage the, the church on issues of peace and justice, to campaign, to speak up and to be change makers uh, in those areas. Um, and my specific role in the team is campaigns and church engagement. So I get the joy of working with local churches across the country, trying to help them get mobilised to, to speak and act on issues of justice and peace. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. It sounds a really great job that you have. Sounds really interesting and varied. And um, I know that the work that the Joint Public Issues team is fantastic and so important. So it's really great that you're able to be with us today. Um, So I wanted to start by asking you, what is the cost of living crisis? I think we've been seeing a lot about it in the news, but actually um, for me, and I'm sure for lots of people listening, it will be really useful just to get a general overview of what it is that we're actually talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. So it's something we'll we'll all have seen in the news, we'll all have kind of felt the impact of on our kind of household budgets or perhaps the in the organisations that we work with um, as well. But what we've been seeing is that over the last sort of six to nine months, we've seen costs kind of rapidly rise across the board. Um, as churches, we first kind of became aware of this as it started to affect local communities as people who kind of had the, the smallest budgets, people who were ma- using the least to make ends meet and um, were seeing their budgets affected by these price rises. And then we started to see it reflect in the statistics as well. So we've seen um, inflation rise to the highest rate in, in over 40 years. And the major driver of this has been the rise in energy costs that we've seen lots of talk about, accompanied by large rises in transport and food prices as well. This has been driven by uh, mostly by the the war in Ukraine and the kind of global unrest around that that's that's pushed up um, wholesale uh, prices on the energy market, as well as increasing kind of market stabilisation charges. So the things, the kind of buffers that are put in place um, when when there's uncertainty around the energy market to cover the cost of failed energy suppliers uh, where we're not seeing the, the energy supply come through from key suppliers like Ukraine and Russia. 
So we've seen the price that households are expected to pay for energy skyrocket to accommodate these things, as well as the cost of basic essentials in a supermarket rise as, we, as the knock-on effects uh, are, are seen across the board. At the same time, incomes haven't been rising. So people aren't seeing an increase in the money that's coming into the bank account to accommodate those prices, which means that what people have to spend just isn't stretching as far. And um, so that's affecting people who are in work, but also people who are supported by things like universal credit and other welfare benefits uh, as either work that they're, that they're doing alongside universal credit isn't, isn't bringing in enough, um, or actually we're seeing the effect of uh, a long-term freeze in the real term of, of benefit costs and benefit prices. So actually they aren't stretching as far. The income that's coming through through welfare payments, uh, such as universal credit, just isn't giving enough for people to cover these rising costs. So we've got rising costs and we've got a kind of uh, a freeze or a stagnation in the income that people are seeing, which is leaving uh, lots and lots of people across the board with a significant gap in, in their household budgets. Yeah, and that I mean that is that's shocking and awful. Um, and I'm wondering what does it what does it mean for families and individuals around the UK? You've touched on it a little bit um, financially, but what is the actual knock on effect for people's day to day lives? Yeah, so we're seeing that the cost of living is rising for everyone. Perhaps some of what we might consider disposable income is now becoming uh, income that's needed to cover the essentials. But actually, what we're seeing is that this is the prices are rising fastest for those who are least well off. Um, so uh, in the spring, the headline rate of inflation was about 9% generally for, for households across the board. But for the poorest families, it was conservatively estimated at about 11% in the year um, into April. And this means that for those people who have uh, the lowest incomes, inflation is, is, is higher for them. Prices are rising more quickly. Mm. This is affected by... Um, things like the way we shop, the food we buy, the amount of money that goes on essentials. So, for example, uh, it's repeatedly reported that people who experience uh, poverty um, rely on the cheapest foods day to day, um, such as value ranges of rice, pasta. Um, and these, uh, the prices of these things have rocketed much faster than other foods. They often have a really small profit margin. So their price fluctuates um, in response to commodity price changes much uh, quicker than higher cost foods. Um, so for example, the commodity market price of rice has risen by 60% over the past six months. Wow. Um, that will eventually be transmitted to all customers, but it will be felt most sharply by those who are relying on those cheapest products. So we know that when your budget is already tight, you just don't have that wiggle room to accommodate those costs and people's mm. incomes just aren't able to cope. So food bank use is, is rising. The Food Foundation produced figures uh, that show a 57% rise in food insecurity just in the first half of this year. And we know things are still, still escalating. So in response to that, we have seen some support come through from the government. We saw things come through uh, in May and then later in the summer as well. Um, we've, we've had the £400 energy discount to all households so everybody is eligible for that discount um, on their energy bills that will come through their energy supplier. We saw two lump sum payments go to households on universal credit so a total of £650 direct support to, to the lowest income households which was really welcome and then some additional support for people receiving pensions or people with disabilities. And then finally, in September, just at the beginning of September, we uh, the government announced the energy price guarantee. 
So that was freezing the the price that uh, energy could be charged at for households to £2,500. That was really welcome. But we're still seeing almost a doubling of costs for people. Mm. Uh, It's good that it's not going to go higher than that. But we're still seeing these really high levels of costs. And this support just hasn't gone far enough. So we know that even with the energy price freeze and with the support payments, a family of four receiving universal credit is still going to be behind by around £1,300 over the next six months Mm. in what they will need to keep warm, to keep fed, to make sure all of the essentials are, are met. That's the real kind of challenge before us is that the poorest households in our communities are facing the sharpest end of this crisis. There was some really interesting analysis done by the Resolution Foundation just over the last few weeks, which suggested that the support for rich households is likely to be double what it is for the poorest households because they will benefit more from tax cuts and price freezes. Whereas that uh, support will just get eaten up by the budgets uh, of low income households much quicker. And once those direct payments run out, there is no more support and they'll be stuck kind of in that position of struggling again. So we've seen some support, but actually the forecast uh, still isn't great for this winter, particularly for those people who have have the least to make ends meet. Yeah, because I can I can imagine that. Was it a thousand pounds? You said it was the that that's that's a huge amount of money for a for an awful lot of well, from for most people, I would say it's a, yeah. it's a lot. And we, with with budgeting within families the way that it will be at the moment that will that could have well a dangerous impact couldn't it and I'm wondering if there's particular a particular story or stories that have really stood out to you and touched you on this issue yeah so I think for us as church organizations looking at this one of the real concerns one of the most urgent concerns obviously is that people have enough to live that the essentials are being met But really, that underlying concern for us is that people are just kept surviving and aren't able to live. Uh, And we had a story um, uh, from a conversation with somebody uh, through some focus groups that we ran um, earlier in the year um, of a gentleman called Ian, who has children, is separated from his partner, he's in his 50s. um, And his, his worry is that he won't be able to see his children at Christmas because he can't afford to travel to see them. He can't afford to make his home a place where he can host people. Uh, his his concern is that a Zoom call will be the best thing that he can have this Christmas with his family. And I know that that isn't about kind of paying the food bill or being able to pay the energy bill, but it really is about what it what it means for people to live. And this isn't just a crisis of, of people surviving, but actually is going to have a long term impact on the welfare, the mental health of people um, who are who are going to be denied the things that enable them a, a flourishing life because of this crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And um, at Lead Sanctuary, one of our values is flourishing. And actually what you're speaking about just really like really speaks to me about what it means for people to flourish. And actually, if we don't have the income to provide our basic needs enough to live, as you're saying, then actually all of that, those little extra things that make flourishing possible, they'll be gone, won't they? And that seems a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. We we had a woman who joined a focus group who was struggling to talk because she had awful toothache and the, the cost for the hair that week was food for the family or paying for dental treatment. Mm. And it's those 
we often have this um people talk about people struggling between heating and eating do we heat the house do we pay the food bill but actually we often find that that's a, it's a bit of a, a false dichotomy because people can't afford either people are just unplugging their energy supply because they don't even want to go there with how much the price might be yeah. people aren't going to benefit from the 400 pound support because they're not going to pay any energy bills because they're disconnecting their supply completely it's those day-to-day choices which hold you back from living fully and um, that people on the lowest incomes are facing yeah that's that seems so shocking doesn't it that in britain in 2022 some people are unplugging and just saying no we're not having any electricity like what what <laughs> makes me what does that mean about progress really like this just feels so shocking and should such a step backwards in terms of quality of life for so many people absolutely so uh, I know that you are involved in the enough to live campaign so I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the campaign what the asks are And how did you arrive at those asks? Yeah, so the work really started um, kind of towards the beginning uh, of when this crisis was being kind of um, aired in in the public space. Um, We were kind of doing some work back in back in May and June, um, identifying what the problems were for communities. And we were finding that um, the cost of living crisis was coming into the public space because people on middle incomes were, were starting to be affected. So the people who had a voice were starting to, to get a bit concerned about what the winter would look like. But actually the group of people who uh, who were talking to each other around this, charities, faith groups, people who were present in communities providing frontline support for people who needed it most, were concerned that it was going to be those who needed it most, the poorest households, the lowest income households, who were going to get forgotten in this uh, in this crisis who weren't going to get that direct support and that kind of support across the board wasn't going to be targeted enough uh, to the people who needed it most so we came together um, to look at what solutions to this might be and to particularly try and raise the profile of the need for support for the poorest income uh, the poorest houses and the lowest income houses in our communities so we've got uh, these faith groups, uh, charities, um, frontline organisations um, coming together to speak up. And what we're really asking for is that support from government will meet three measures, um, that it will be targeted, that it will take into account family size and need. We've seen these flat rate payments. But, you know, if you've got £650 going to a single person, £650 going to a family of four, that's just not going to stretch as far when you've got four mouths to feed. So we really want support that takes into account the family size and need. If you've got someone with disabilities, if you've got those additional costs for, for young children to make sure that that is reflected in the amount of support going to people. We want it to be adequate. So, so far, we've still got this measurable gap of, of possibly a, well over £1,000 for people. Um, that is still isn't being met. So we need the support to calculate what that gap is and to meet it. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be enough income for people to meet those needs and to have a, a good standard of life to be able to pay for those essentials. And we need it to be timely. We need it to be delivered quickly. Um, we've uh, seen support already rolled out by the mechanisms that are there, whether that's coming through your energy supplier or coming through universal credit, those systems where people are already enrolled, where they can be found and delivered the support that they need. Mm-hmm. So those three measures for, for support to be targeted, for it to be adequate and for it to be timely are the three things that we're we're calling for. We know that the government have the opportunity to announce some of these support measures in the in the packages that they're introducing 
Parliament is sitting again during September, um, they have the opportunity to introduce some of these measures in the packages that they're creating. So we're really calling for them to take that into account and to provide further direct support for the poorest households. Yeah, that, I mean, that all sounds really sensible and reasonable and proportional to the problem that we're seeing in society. So I think I think that sounds fantastic. I've been I've been aware of the Enough to Live campaign for a couple of months now. And something that I've been thinking about is that it seems to be such a fast moving and changing issue because it's it's been in the media a huge amount with the changing of the prime minister. This felt like top of the priority list. Um, so I'm wondering how you and the team have stayed on top of these developments because it feels that everything is changing on an almost weekly basis. So how have you updated and changed according to the situation as it's moved? Yeah, so we've really benefited from partnering um, with researchers, with policy experts, particularly with Professor Donald Hirsch at Loughborough University, who's been keeping an eye on these um uh, updates when some new support measures have been announced and mapping that back against the support that we know people people need. So it's a combination of doing that kind of data analysis and really benefiting from the experts who can do that, but also keeping in really close contact with communities, having focus groups and conversations with people who are on the front lines of this, people who either provide food banks or use food banks, use death advice centres, for example, to make sure that what we're what we're seeing from statistics is reflected in lived experience or if there's anything we've we've missed. So we really try and make sure that we are staying connected with people in communities as well as doing that kind of yeah data analysis on this. Mm. And what's some of the stuff that's come out of those focus groups that you hadn't necessarily anticipated? I think it is those stories of, of the details. Um, we might say, okay, great, we're going to we want this much money to go to people but actually people might need it for specific things there might be a specific way of delivering that income um you know we know for example people on prepayment meters uh for their energy are going to struggle to get the the income support through their energy supplier that's being offered by the government if we don't hear that from people who use that day to day we're not going to know to advocate for that for that well um you know for example there there's something called the household support fund that local councils and local authorities can deliver um for people to pay for um for essentials that they're not able to provide for themselves whether that might be um you know a, a meeting a bill or a food uh, a food bill for that for that week or that month but it's really ring fenced so councils can't give it out to people to pay for furniture for you know, mm. someone's fridge breaks uh, to be able to cover that cost we uh, we know from talking to people in communities providing that community support that that's not very helpful. That actually, it would really help if government provided income that was able to go to to where there was need to go to those kind of emergency payments when people need it for the practicalities. So again, if we weren't if we weren't talking to communities, listening to communities, um, we we wouldn't know that. And one of the biggest things we find is that um, that's not often the work that the government does. It's not often the conversation that the government's having with local communities. So actually, we're, we're trying to be able to bridge that gap to say we are connected in those communities. Faith groups often are really connected in those communities. Mm -hmm. So we want to amplify those voices to you and make sure you're hearing that so that you can adequately respond. Yeah, that feels really important. And I can so see that if your fridge breaks, there might be there may be this household support fund to buy the food. But actually, if you can't keep the food, then what that it all sort of falls apart at that point. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, um, Hannah. And I wondered, um, how can people follow the work 
of JPIT and um, the Enough to Live campaign? How can people get involved in that? Um, and I guess keep abreast of what feels a really fast moving situation. Yeah, so all of the information, the work that we've been doing um, at the moment is on our website. So that's jpit.uk forward slash enough to live. Um, so you can go there and see um, the reports, the updated analysis that we've been providing. And we're also using the hashtag enough to live uh, on social media. And um, that's a really good way of seeing what our different partners are doing, um, different pieces of work. So using the hashtag enough to live on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram um, is a good way to stay up to date with with regular updates for the campaign. Perfect. And are there ways people can get involved themselves in that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Parliament's back in session. We obviously had a long summer recess um, where MPs weren't meeting in Parliament. But now that they're back just for a short time before they go to party conferences, but they'll be back sitting through the winter. And raise these concerns with your MP. Um, They are your advocate in that space. Um, They can put pressure on um, the government to to provide this support where it's not been provided already. Um, So write to your MP. Um, It's often really helpful if you can tell your MP what you're experiencing in your community, if you've got neighbours yourself are experiencing some of these challenges, so that they know what the concerns of their constituency is and they can they can raise that with them um, as well so so sending a letter or an email to your mp um, or going perhaps to their constituency surgery um, if they hold one in the week to talk to them um, would be a really helpful measure fantastic and actually um, as an encouragement to people i just got an email back from my mp hillary ben this morning on this very issue so um yeah I, that always feels it feels encouraging and nice when you hear back and um you hear what they think and the things that they're going to move forward in parliament and within their role so yes it is worth it yeah <laughs> and um just to throw in the mix there we uh, in leeds are doing some stuff as well so in the show notes i'll also include include some of those links too um as part of the enough to live campaign a localized expression of that My final question for you, Hannah, links to Lead Sanctuary and who we are and what we do. And we are passionate about justice, but we are also passionate about well-being and flourishing of individuals and communities. Um, And that can be particularly important for activists, which I would consider you to be. Um, People who give out, people who believe in a better world and want to bring about change. And I wanted to ask you how you stay motivated and care for yourself as an activist. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I was reflecting on it um, before before we started speaking. And I think... um, the thing that came to mind for me is I, I sing in a choir and we meet once a week. It's a really special choir. It's made up of people um, who've been through the refugee and asylum process and then people who are kind of in solidarity with that community. I mean, at the most basic level, just being with other people and singing each week does mm-hmm. something good for you. Good for you. Um, but also just being uh, having a relationship, a friendship with people um who, who perhaps have been through some really challenging stuff but again are turning up each week to sing to be creative to get involved in the arts and to kind of raise their voice mm. um is is a really replenishing thing for me it fills me up um and enables me to to think of those people when I'm doing the work that I do uh, and remember that it, it is with them um that, that I do this yeah yeah that sounds so great what a lovely thing to do with your time that sounds really really good um, and singing can be a really good de-stressor as well can't it yeah absolutely it really ticks those boxes as well yeah thank you so much for your time Hannah is there anything that you wanted to say that you haven't had a chance to say 
no I think I think that's been a really helpful conversation and I um I hope for people that uh, that they find a sense of, of hope in looking at, at this crisis it can be a really um heavy conversation to have especially when we're all kind of in it day to day and this this is something that's affecting lots of people um but remembering that these these kind of conversations and the actions that we can take there is still hope to ensure that people people have enough to live and people can get through this winter and that we can do that if we're if we're standing together around it as well yeah fantastic thank you so much I hope you will agree that was a fascinating interview and I feel much clearer on what the cost of living crisis is, the change we want to see and how we can be part of that. If you want to get involved in campaigning on this issue in Leeds, then please do join the Leeds Craftivists for our upcoming meetups and these links will be in the show notes. You can also find some of the information and links that Hannah mentioned too in the show notes. You can keep in touch with what we at Leeds Sanctuary do on our website, leedsanctuary.org.uk and on social media where we are at Leeds Sanctuary. Thank you for listening.